here in the Arms Room Show with Glenn. And Drew. And Gabe. Thank you to all of our patrons for the support that you provide to the show, as well as the support that you provide for our communities, because we're able to teach Stop the Bleed and safety, security consultations, and all kinds of great stuff for nonprofit organizations and civic organizations, thanks to the support we get on the show. So if you're not a patron of the show, please support the show. All right, our highest patronage is ten bucks a month right now, which I think we might increase soon. But um, that's the highest one right now. It's nothing, man. It's nothing. So it just it's worth it, right? If you're not supporting the show, please support us. If you get even a little bit of value out of it, it's worth it, in my opinion. Oh man, what do we got coming up? Um, Happy New Year! It is today. The show is released. We pre-recorded the show, so in the future it will be. New Year, 2024, holy fuck, 2023 went by fast as always. They just get faster. I remember when I was a kid and old people would be like, oh, the years just get faster. And I was like, whatever, fucking oldie moldy. And now that I am oldie moldy, I fucking realize, god damn it, does does a fucking time just fly? Sometimes I want it to go by. Uh, you know, there's sometimes things in my life in the past where I'm just like, oh my God, when will this end? And I'm okay with time going on. But <clears throat> these days I'm like, man, slow down. What the fuck? Remember to send us your show ideas, especially if you're a patron, please send us your show ideas. It gives us an opportunity to do what you guys want. And we've got some great show ideas. I have an awesome list of show ideas, uh, but we need more. Right? We do four to five shows a month, so we need more of your ideas. Your ideas, if you send them in, are very likely to get used, especially if they're already you know, lining up with other uh, things that we have on the roster. So that's important, right? Oh, man, what we have in news today. Let's take a look. All right. Uh, Biden administration fining uh, Chattanooga Trucking Company $700,000 for checking the employment el- eligibility for job applicants. So this is actually one of many stories I'm hearing about companies getting attacked by the federal government for not hiring the illegal immigrants that are flooding across our border. So much so that for those of you guys who don't know, there is uh, an area in Arizona called Lutesville, and it's where we go across the border, like when we head, head down to Rocky Point, and they've actually closed it down. So you actually cannot cross in Lukesville. And uh, because the, the flood of, of illegals was so much, Border Patrol couldn't handle it. And so they just shut the whole fucking thing down. For us now to go, if we wanted to go down to Rocky Point, it now will take literally double the time. And we have to go through uh, Nogales or Yuma, both of which the Border Patrol has said, these are dangerous places to go. Don't go through these places. Don't go to fucking Mexico. Through these areas, it's unsafe for American citizens. What an interesting fucking situation we found ourselves in. Yeah, we can't go there, but they can come here. By the f- and they just open up the fucking borders and came right and they came right across. Yeah, I think it's stupid that the federal government is meddling in private business to begin with. I mean, obviously, if they're doing something overtly illegal, then yeah, they have branches of the government to look into that, but them just saying, hey, we notice you're not hiring XY people for whatever reason. We're going to hit you with a giant fine like that. I think it's fucking ridiculous. <clears throat> Covenant Logistics and Transport Management Services, LLC, in quotes, routinely discriminated 
against non-U.S. citizens. I'm going to stop right there. I don't give a fuck what the rest of the story is about. It's a private business. They can hire you whoever they want. Are you fucking serious? Because they required lawful permanent residents to show their residency card and to show documents related to immigration status, which if you hire illegal immigrants, it's illegal. If you employ people unlawfully, it's illegal. But now you're also getting sued if you don't employ them? Yeah. This is insanity. No, it's <clears throat> employ X amount of these people, X amount of these people, because we said so. Otherwise, we're going we're gonna to fuck you somehow. This goes back to kind of what we were talking about during the rowdy roundtable about, like, you know, is it too far? Here's the thing. There should be no federal agency that fucks with companies and employment. That shouldn't fucking exist. Yeah. It should not exist. Private companies should be able to say, we don't hire white people. You see how it's not racist if I say white people? If I say white people, it's not racist. Yeah. Maybe they're a black-owned company and they only want to hire other black people. They don't want white That's people. That's fine. And you know what? If they don't want white people, I don't have a fucking problem with that. Yeah, I, don't I don't care. care. I'm not going to go cry in the streets. I'm not going to burn down my community. I'm not going to steal a bunch of fucking Nike shoes. I'm not going to do any of that kind of shit. All I'm going to do is go, that company doesn't want white people. Yeah. And I'm totally, I don't give a motherfuck who they want to hire. I don't <laughs> fucking care. It's a private entity. Right. They're right here in our office uh, structure area thing. There used to be a church. I don't think they're really they're there anymore. Are they really? No. Yeah, there's like an art gallery now or something. But it used to be a church. It was mostly blacks. I don't think if I would have gone in there on a Sunday, they would have said no. But you would have got some looks. I don't think the feeling I got <laughs> on Sundays when I was here teaching a class or working or something uh, was not. A yes, you know, and you know what? I'm like, that's rad. Yeah, that's fine. I, I don't feel racially discriminated against. I'm like, they don't want me there and that's okay. I don't need to go over them and be like, you have to accept. No, they don't. Yeah. They're a private entity. They can say they don't like people with baseball caps. They can say whatever the fuck they want. And if I have a problem with that, I just don't go there. That's how easy it is. Yeah. Unless they're personally infringing. Like if they're like, hey. We don't want you in our church. I love how your and voice goes southern when you do that. Uh, dude, it's always, <laughs> it's always like that one. <laughs> I don't. I only know. It's my only voice. All right. But, Unless uh, you impersonate me, and then you have a very different voice. <laughs> yes, when I impersonate Drew, it is different. Or my dad. If I try to impersonate my dad or Drew, it's a different voice. But, uh, but yeah, they're like, hey, we don't want you in our church. And we're going to drag you behind a truck. Okay, that's a problem, right? right? That's infringing on my liberty. That's not right. That is assault. That's attempted murder. That's horrible shit. Um, if they do it because of race, yeah, sure, I guess that's racism. But, like, honestly, this whole thing has gone so fucking far where it's like I feel like the people who are discriminated against aren't that vocal about it. And the people... That want to like have like every fucking house mom Karen, who's yeah. like, st first of all, is just a stupid dumb bitch. Like, does is so they're so the majority of these people are so goddamn stupid, just stupid. They may be intelligent, meaning that they they're book smart, but they're fucking stupid in the sense they don't have any common sense or street smarts. And it's usually them, these fucking social justice warriors who like want to stand up for the people. In fact, we were talking about this the other day at our run club. 
where, uh, you know, discriminate, like they're changing the names of professional sports teams mm-hmm. and the ethnic groups, mostly Native Americans, that these sports teams represent are actually filing countersuits and being like, yo, motherfuckers, we actually like being represented in professional sports. We don't mind being called the Chiefs or the Redskins or whatever. Like, we like that because we get to have some part of our heritage that doesn't offend us, you stupid white bitch. It only offends you because you have nothing going on in your life. Your life is so blatantly fucking mediocre. What's the term that they use? Your wife, your life is so vanilla. All right. Your life, your life is so vanilla that you have to find something to fucking be upset about. Well, in some of those sports teams, I don't remember exactly which ones off the top of my head, but I know some for baseball, I think it was Cleveland, right? Yeah. They changed their shit. The reason they called that team that that, if I'm remember it correctly is because they had such a high percentage of native American players on the team. And it was like one of the first, teams that had a lot of Native American people on it so they called it that and then however many years later they're like oh fuck this is wrong when that's why they called it that in the first place it was by design we do training for a special operations group their logo is a skull wearing a Native American chief headdress the person who drew that skull was one of the only Native Americans to ever make it into this organization Pretty, excuse me, pretty prestigious organization. They were the only, one of the only Native Americans to ever do it. Drew this logo. The members of the organization then wore that with pride. Not racism. Pride. With all this woke shit, they had a commander recently who tried to shut that down. Wanted him to paint over everything. Wanted them to eliminate, um, you know, the logo off of everything. Luckily, before that could officially happen, that guy moved on to another unit. A new commander came in who was so concerned with other problems that he's kind of so far let this go. And the guys have taken it and run with it (laughs) to the point that we have new shirts, hats, patches, stickers. They made probably one of the most racially and gender offensive fucking stickers that I've ever seen a unit make and gave us one. And I'm like, I am keeping this sticker Just because I know the origin of why people hate it. Yeah. Like, this is fucking awesome. Whenever someone, whenever somebody hates something, I love it more. If the government comes out and says, you shouldn't do this, I want to do that. You know what I mean? It's just like, anymore, I just, I look at the social norm and I go, whatever they don't like, that's what I want to do. Well, not only that, but it's like, (laughs) it's probably the right thing. It's shit that like, shouldn't affect anyone on a personal or emotional level like mm. it's a fucking sticker if you if you made a hundred stickers and this would be funny if someone did it with my photo on it and said like fuck gabe <laughs> i'd be like yo give me one of those stickers because <laughs> someone email right now to overwatch yeah because someone <laughs> hates me enough to make a sticker with my face on it that says fuck you gabe are you kidding me i'd be like yeah put that shit everywhere that's hilarious it wouldn't piss me off you know what i mean but these people see like these you know stickers on cars and they lose yeah. their shit about it or, well, again, know, there was no Native Americans getting upset about this logo. Yeah. And it's like, dumb. And historically, it's like, I look back at like the pinups of, let's say, World War II. Yeah. <clears throat> and one of my favorite types of art in a non-sexual, non, um, what's the term? I'm Ge- highly offended. Gender, True. whatever <laughs> way is. I love, I fucking love old school World War II pinup art. Yeah. I don't mean like they got to have the titties hanging out. I just mean like I love old school World War II pinup art. Here's why I love it. 
because of what it means. Yeah, the history behind it. Like I have one on my water bottle, a couple on my water bottles. Because companies who do that, I o- almost always support their stuff. I will buy them. I, here's here's why. Here's what it means to me. Here's what it means to me, honestly. Where all this sense, of, and by the way, it's always some fat, purple hair yeah, bitch. Dyke ain't nobody drawing no you on a plane. No one will fuck. That's always upset about. Hot chicks are never upset about. Hot chicks. No. It's always ugly fat bitches like that, that are fucking upset about hot. And it's like, I don't think you're upset because men, men are just sexualizing. No, you, what no you're upset about is no one you. sexualizes yeah. you, you fucking hog. Nobody wants you at all. I wouldn't fuck you on my worst day. You were, you and I were the last people on earth. Yeah. I'd kill you and eat you. You're like, well, this is it. I would spend the rest of my life alone. Well, it's like that video <laughs> I sent you. Of those girls getting interviewed. Oh my god, Glenn sent that to me. So Gabe sent me this video. Of these, Glenn just sent that to of me. Of these it was three girls. Hilarious. And there's these two who are like, they're like mediocre yeah, looking, like, right? They're relatively decent looking. And then there's this third one, and she literally has a fupa, all right? She's got the fucking disgusting front butt. With a crop top on. With a crop top on, which is like working her, her fats yeah. pilot out. <laughs> and she goes to answer the question. What was the question? The guy asked? goes, the guy goes, what factors make a guy attractive? And she fucking jumps on this she mic. She jumps on the mic. She, like, grabs the mic yeah, and like, shoves it to her but mouth. But then somebody ad-libbed over the top of her to whatever fucking job of the... Ooba-weeba-wooba-wooba-wooba-wooba-wooba. Oh, my God, dude. I was laughing so fucking hard because I was like, as soon as she grabbed the mic, what's this fat bitch going to say? And, and then, then it's job of the hood. I'm like, oh, my God. Whoever did this is a legend. This yeah. is phenomenal. Oh, so anyways. Yeah, it's always these people are upset. Here's Again, here's what I like about the pinup art. What it represents is real men, especially World War II men, that are salt-of-the-earth types most of the time. They wanted nothing more than to get home to their women because they loved their women. And you can, oh, women's right. Shut the fuck up. Every good woman I know, including my wonderful wife, of course supports equality from the sense of understanding that men and women are not equal. Right. That They want equality, like, not to speak for Drew, but the majority of women that mansplaining, I know, Glenn. God. Yeah, I'm mansplaining here. I, <clears throat> I'm also manspreading. If you look over here, my legs yeah, are wide open. I'm, I'm, taking I'm manspreading two, while I'm manspreading. Oh, my God. Some fucking purple hair Karen is losing her mind right now. Her beta cuck husband are like, oh, my God. He's by, so- the way, by the way, honey, the three guys will be over at four to fuck you, so make yeah, sure exactly. you're ready. I'm going to video. <laughs> what a fucking faggot. So the, the point is, is that that's what they wanted to get home to. They loved their women. They respected their women. They wanted to get home to that. And that's what kept them going. And my guys, my, you know, my, my guys who have served in the military after World War II, you don't even barely know what a fucking deployment is. Talk to the World War II boys. Yeah. These guys sometimes didn't even know when they were going home. Four or five years, they were gone. They were gone for a long motherfucking time. That was not some six-month deployment, 12-month deployment, even 16-month Yeah, they went for deployment. years and never knew if they, they were, were coming home. They were gone as fuck. And it yeah. wasn't like they were rotating back to like no, a, a quote, they green zone. Right? It's just like they're just in the fucking country. trenches 24-7. Yeah, yeah they, they, their R&R was in Holland, which might get bombed. Yeah, by the way, yeah, <laughs> like getting fucking aerated. So it's like the point being is these guys had to keep hope alive. And if painting some hot chick on the side of a fucking airplane 
and call it the Tata Express is what fucking kept them going, then goddamn. Yeah, that, when I because went, guys nowadays get a fucking sat sat phone call home or FaceTime. Or... And these these guys were writing letters literally on the back of fucking cardboard boxes and sending them home, hoping that they might get there in like a month. They were getting mail on the front lines literally weeks after it was written. Yeah. It's, when I see all those, especially if you go to, like, any of the air museums and they have some, you know, original artwork on some of those planes, like, you just think about who painted that and probably the morale they knew that they were going to give to the other guys. Yeah. And that's why they took all this time to paint it and shit like that. that when I see them, it's like, yeah, you know, it's a attractive lady and you know some world war ii pinup costume but then you think about it it's like no that was probably a huge morale cookie to all those guys you know something to like you said remind them of home yeah and they're just fucking <clears throat> demonized this is know? what we're fighting for right yeah the old like the th- old this saying. this is something this is something they, they may not be going home to a pinup girl but but that's the idea is this is this american beauty right that i'm going home to yeah. if i can just fucking stay alive that's why I like pinup art because mm-hmm. it reminds me of that concept of having something worth fighting for. Yeah. You know, these days it's like I'm going to go home to a high tax rate, a shitty job, overpriced fuel. What am I fucking going home to? Yeah. Going you know, home so you can go to sleep, do it again the next day. Yeah, so it's like it's very it's very hard. I could imagine being deployed today and being like what do I have the chance to go home to? Yeah. Divorce rates, 80% in the military. Like My wife's probably at home banging somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've been gone bank for accounts 16 empty. months. Yeah. Fuck I'm probably going to show up. No kids, no wife, empty bank account, and, and a fuck you middle finger note seen in the center before. of the fucking living room floor. Yeah. Yeah. How many times yeah. have you seen that? How many yeah. times have I seen that? Yeah. Like more than once have I had to fucking console some dude because he got the raw end of the fucking stick. Mm-hmm. It's like, <clears throat> that's, yeah. So when I see pinup art, I'm like, man, that's like an era of something worth fighting for. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not I'm not offended by that shit. I'm not offended by, I don't have a, cult, like, I don't know, Austrian culture. Well, how can you misappropriate Austrian culture? <laughs> so it's like, so I don't even know enough about Austrian know, culture wearing, like, to even. <laughs> leather jackets out of context. I don't know. I don't even know. But if someone really, if someone like really tried hard to like, okay, how about this? Cowboy culture is more my culture, to be honest. All right. I grew up ranch land, farmland, FFA, 4-H, livestock. Drew's seen my childhood photos. It's all fucking cowboy boots, cowboy I'm going to post that one your sister just sent me <laughs> with your little Dude, pictures. one of my favorite photos is me standing on, underneath the, the Jackson Hole uh, Park antlers. And I'm <laughs> full out. I'm probably like eight or nine years old. And I'm full out like cowboy boots, cowboy hat. And I got my hands I got my hands on this belt buckle. I got it like some Jim Canner or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I got my thumbs tucked into the belt buckle. You see the pose. Ready to go. Like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, and I'm standing next to one of like my, my next oldest sister. And, uh, and I'm standing there like, yaw. You know what I mean? Like, it's the funniest fucking photo. I look back down. I'm like, man, I'm such a little cowboy. Did you send me that photo? Okay. Yellowstone, the show, misappropriates my culture. There we go. Yeah. All That's right. Cole Hauser is not God. Have you ever seen Cole Hauser when he's not dressed up like Rip? That noodle arm motherfucker doesn't look anything like they portray Rip. They portray Rip with like this big, heavy jacket looking like he's some beefy ass motherfucker. But when you see Cole Hauser for real, he is not that way. Just six layers of Carhartt. It's just a whole bunch of fucking Carhartt, <laughs> dude. It makes him look beefy. 
Kevin Costner is misappropriating my culture. Actually, Kevin Costner kind of is sort of a real cowboy. He's got a lot of cowboy shit going on in his life. Cole Hauser is misrepresenting my culture. Luke Grimes is not only misappropriating my culture, he is a horrible country singer, and I don't like him at all. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm offended. Who do That's, I sue? Okay, you know what? Where do I protest? I'm burning cars. I We're leaving. Someone. I'm burning cars. I found someone that, you know. Steal I, some Nike shoes. I can Versace purses. That, that's going to give me retribution for someone misappropriating my culture. Get a goddamn new microwave. <laughs> Who fucking shit in your Wheaties today? I'm just saying this is ridiculous. This shit is fucking stupid. All right, next, next story. One dead, two injured in Paris knife and hammer attack. Near the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> so why are we even reading a story about France? Who even cares? I would like to go see the Eiffel Tower. As soon as it's not surrounded by a bunch of French people and Muslims, I'll go fucking check it yeah. out. <laughs> what a fucking uh, shithole. <laughs> Dude, every time I read about someone in Europe getting fucked up by a knife or a hammer. Or acid. I just, <laughs> I just fucking like, what the fuck? Dude, yeah, they, you, just, if, you're, if you're living a society. Or a country where your people are getting stabbed to death in 2023, all right, 2024 now, all right, or getting beat to death with hammers and you have no way to defend yourself, you are a weak, stupid, useless fucking human. Fucking kill yourself. Go to the Eiffel Tower, sling a big fucking rope over it. Jump off. And fucking hang yourself. What in the fuck use are you? You have nothing to say to me about freedom, liberty, Rules, regulations, laws, or anything. You have been ass-fucked by your government 100 fucking percent. And we're headed there next, so I guess... Yeah, we're next. But I, I love when next. people in the UK are like... I don't know how much longer we'd be able to say this for, but they're like, well, at least our kids aren't getting shot up, shot up in math class. And I'm like, you had like 30 stabbings in the last <laughs> hour. Like, get the fuck out of my face, you retard. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Your kids aren't getting shot up. They're getting fucking stabbed Yeah, they're just getting filleted by and some Muslim guy on the and train. they're so fucking weak, they can't figure out how to stop it. Everyone, everyone on a train is like, how do I stop this guy with a knife? Oh, my God. Pick up anything heavy and hit him. He's got a knife, dude. Like, we figured out how to beat the knife, like, 2,000 years ago or whatever. Like, just get ahead. How about, I don't know, pick up your fucking briefcase and be like, stab this motherfucker and let him stab your briefcase for a second while you kick him in the shins. Like, Jesus Christ. Not only that, but, like, if it's a <laughs> crowded public area, you can only shove stab a, so many of them. Grab you. the nearest purple-haired fucking bitch and shove her in front of you, all right? And then when, he, when she's getting stabbed, just punch the dude in the lips. Just punch him. A lot, real hard. Use the Java chick as a meat shield. Because <laughs> you know she's not going to get hurt. He probably doesn't have a very big knife. Yeah, dude, it's probably a relatively small Probably a kitchen knife. Yeah. So use the, job, gonna... use the Java chick yeah. as a meat shield, get close enough, and fucking go in for an underhook or something. Yeah, man. I probably wouldn't penetrate her fupa. No, fuck no. I'm going to keep she's using good. the term penetrate her fupa as many <laughs> fucking times I as I can. I hate that image so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah think about that. No. Nope. Penetrate her moist fupa. Oh man. my <laughs> god! It's not vagina. It's a fupa. It's all sweaty yeah, stuff. Yeah, but there's like gross, weird ugh, stuff it's like ecosystem. In yeah, it's got its own <laughs> botanical garden <laughs> happening underneath the between the fupa and the vajay. Penetrate go. her moist fupa. I'm gonna find a way to integrate that into into our. Somebody next make class. that into a sticker. I, yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> 
All right, artwork challenge for the listeners. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no, no. Draw a botanical garden, like a biosphere type thing happening. Coming out of a The most disturbing thing is, is now you're going to get these. I will give $5 to anyone who does this. $5? Five whopping dollars. That's $10. (laughs) $10. And all the swag you could possibly fucking want. All the sweatshirts, hats, everything. Artwork challenge. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You are (laughs) sick. (laughs) I got to go forever. Oh, shit. That's gross. All right. Enough of the news. What else we got? Oh, what else do we have here? I'm looking real quick. Oh, we got nothing. Oh, oh independence training gear moment. We got it. Uh, do a gun safe roundup. It is beginning of the new year, 2024. Do a gun safe roundup. You either shoot all guns well or you shoot no guns well. That's my opinion. Now, I don't mean that you should be able to take your pistol out to 1,200 meters. I mean, you either know how to run all your guns to their effective distances and ranges within a reasonable, realistic standard, or you don't. This is one of my favorite things to do with students. In fact, Gabe and I did this in a recent private training where we had a student bring all their pistols and all their rifles. They had uh, six AR setups that were literally all different, um, and they had, I think, five handgun setups that were all different, and we came out and made them run it. We videoed it, and here's what we found. Very confident, very confident with the handgun. Everything went pretty well. Slight hookup with like malfunction clearances, but no problem. Got to the rifles, found some weird inconsistencies that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to find had we just had them keep running one gun. If they just kept training with us with the same gun all the time, we wouldn't have seen these weird inconsistencies that started happening. And so it was really great, like from a learning lesson for us and also for a learning lesson for them to be able to go, oh shit, this is something I need to work on. So that's what I love about the gun safe roundup. I think there's two ways to do it. You can bring out all, like all your guns, depending on how many you have. Or I like to do a gun safe roundup where we bring out weird stuff. I like to do this with the instructors where we make, you know, everyone shoots everyone's daily carry gun. And then everyone shoots some weird gun everyone brought. Like one time we did that and Adele brought a fucking muzzle loader pirate pistol, you know. And uh, and I brought like a lever action, you know, 357. And one of the other guys brought some Bolt action. I can't remember some weird caliber. I like never even fucking heard of. And so everyone's just having a good time. Like, hey man, I either shoot well or I don't. Yeah. I can either figure out a manual arms for a gun because I understand how firearms work or I don't. I either understand the fundamentals of marksmanship or I don't. So doing a gun safe roundups, beginning of the year, at the very least, grab a half a dozen guns, maybe even the ones you haven't shot in a while, or maybe the ones that you shoot regularly. Bring them all out to the range and shoot them. Yeah, or go out with a buddy and tell him to do the same thing, and then you guys just swap. So try it out. Gun Safe Roundup. Independence Training Gear Moment brought to you by TrainingAZ.com. Make sure you check out our 2024 schedule. we got, a, I don't know, 200 classes coming up. As always, fuckload of shit. All kinds of cool stuff, all right? Mm-hmm. All righty. Uh, today we're going to start a uh, medical series of shows. We're going to do about eh, 35, 40 minutes here of the first part of our IFAC Lifesaver class. Now, I want to preface this with this. If you are an arms room patron and you would like a PDF copy of our IFAC Lifesaver class, we will send it to you. Send us an email 
to info at trainingaz.com. If you're a patron, and we will send you a PDF version of our entire presentation so that you can follow along with the show, right? We'll send you a link to the videos, the whole fucking thing. We want you to be educated. We understand not everyone can come out and train with us, and we can't go everywhere. We wish we could. We want you guys to get good education and training. So this is our offer to you, all right? So when we start off our IFAC Lifesaver class, we're basically just going to kind of teach it right now. Starting right now. Here we go. The concept of the IFAC, or the Individual First Aid Kit, comes from the military. Started in the early 2000s. Really fully reached all the branches by about 2016. I'm sorry, 2006. My apologies. 2006. And the purpose of the IFAC was to handle the two leading causes of preventable traumatic death on the battlefield, which were catastrophic bleeding, bleeding to death from an arterial wound, or a compromised airway, often referred to in this context as tension pneumothorax, which is to say pressure from a hole in the chest, usually resulting from a penetrating trauma, such as a gunshot wound, a stab wound, fragmentation, shrapnel, etc. So when the IFAC was released, it was a literal game changer on the military battlefield because up to this point, most people carried very, very minimal med supplies to say that they basically carried nothing. And they were very reliant on medics within a unit. Now we kind of turn to everybody into baby medics. And we also spread med supplies out everywhere. So everyone was carrying some med supplies. And everybody kind of knew a little bit of something to keep someone alive during the three main phases of tactical combat casualty care, or TCCC. Those three main phases in the beginning were cuff, which is care under fire, This was only managing bleeding, so tourniquets only, really. And then getting to cover and returning fire if possible. Suppressing the enemy was everyone else's goal, to be able to then get to a patient and stop the bleeding. Tactical field care, which was phase number two, was doing all the other stuff. Chest seals, wound packing, bandaging, burns, broken bones, all the other shit. Once we had accomplished one of three things, we had either suppressed the enemy completely, moved to a hardened structure, or put a geographical feature between us and the opposition. We could then perform all the tactical field care, TFC or phase two. Phase three was then casualty evacuation or tactical evacuation. The difference between CASEVAC and TACEVAC is TACEVAC means I'm bringing help to me. Generally, we'd be using something like a nine-line report, which you can look up on the Google, and it'll give you all nine lines, all right? Most civilians don't need all nine lines. We need, like, five of them. Casualty evacuation means I'm or we are evacuating the casualty to a location. So we're going to move them ourselves. We're going to put them on a litter, and we're going to move to rally point X, or we're going to put them in a vehicle, or we're going to do something. We're going to do something to get them out of here. Yeah, that's not going to involve calling somebody else. We put them on a bird. That's TACAVAC, technically. So utilizing these concepts and making sure that everybody who ever did anything in the military had an IFAC and that roughly everybody had it in the same place. 11 years later, by 2017, the military had successfully stopped catastrophic hemorrhage from being the leading cause of preventable death on the battlefield. In fact, some units, such as the 75th Ranger Regiment, haven't had, to my knowledge, a preventable traumatic death on the battlefield for about 11 or 12 years now. 
And that's simply because they're constantly moving medicine forward, make sure everybody knows what the fuck's up. And they've got a lot of cool shit they're doing in the field right now. We're not going to discuss it on today's show. The point is, is that if we could do the same thing in the civilian world, if we can get everybody to carry an knife back, if every mom, dad, truck driver, Uber driver, construction worker, factory worker, office worker, if everybody just carried a simple IFAC and knew how to use it, we could eliminate the leading cause of preventable traumatic death in the civilian world, which remains today catastrophic bleeding or arterial bleeding. So it's really important that people take this very seriously. Because this is something that we can stop. And we've been able to stop this for literally hundreds and even thousands of years using the same fucking techniques. Basic first aid classes, Boy Scouts first aid, all that shit isn't teaching. And in fact, is counterproductive in teaching. We've got to look at a better method of doing things. So that's really where the IFAC concept comes from. And the IFAC is available to everybody, whether it's a simple Ziploc bag full of some basic supplies for wound packing, all the way up to and including a fully stocked IFAC. The IFAC concept is an individual first aid kit. It is for the individual, not for a group. I don't carry IFACs for other people. I carry my IFAC for me. My trauma kits are for other people. My IFAC is for me. That's specifically what it's for. So moving on, excuse me, kind of our next part of the series, we typically bring up some really grotesque, horrible looking wound that's not life threatening. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy because of the nature of the majority of wounds that regular people see, which are often going to be related to things like industrial accidents, a lot of motor vehicle accidents, you know, backcountry accidents, kitchen accidents, backyard accidents, usually not combat related gunshot wounds, explosions, et cetera. Because the average person is going to see that kind of stuff, they're going to see nasty stuff. But that nasty stuff may not be related to the leading cause of preventable death or even something that needs to be handled right now. So it's really easy to get distracted by distracting wounds. So we don't want to get distracted by distracting wounds. Instead, we want to work through a series of acronym parts called MARCH. And before March, we want to do two important things called SA. You can think of it like situational awareness because that's something a lot of people know about. But in the medical world, what SA means is safety and accountability. So seeing safety is important. Am I safe? Is the patient safe? Is it safe for me to help the patient? Much like TCCC where we have to establish fire superiority or kill all the enemy before we can move to a patient in a normal world, we have to make sure we're not going to be injured or that the patient isn't going to get further injured if we're trying to help them out. So we got to make sure that we're going to be safe, they're going to be safe. Then we look at accountability. Are all the people who are supposed to be here accounted for? Because it's easy to get distracted by wounds in general, it's also very easy to get distracted by a patient, especially a patient who's crying, screaming, wailing, bleeding a little, or maybe bleeding all over the place, but not necessarily catastrophically bleeding. It's a big difference between a lot of blood and a measurable or quantifiable amount of a lot of blood. If you're looking at a lot of blood, all blood's a lot of blood if you've never seen a lot of blood. And if it's your blood, it's always a lot of blood. So quantifying that loss of blood is more active volume loss. If the blood is hydraulically and actively leaving the body, then that is a catastrophic wound that needs to be handled. If it's not actively leaving the body, 
then more than likely, it's not a life-threatening bleed, and we can handle it later down the road. And I need to make sure if it's actively leaving the body, I handle that right now. Either tourniquets or wound packing are appropriate here, which we'll cover probably in the next show. But right now, we're looking at <clears throat> the idea of who needs to be handled. So MARCH is the acronym we're going to use at this point to both triage and treat. During the accountability phase, we're going to pick who needs our help the most based on any number of criteria. I'm going to help my family before I help anybody else. If my family member is crying and screaming and, and worried after a vehicle accident and a perfect stranger is bleeding to death, I'm helping my family member. Sorry, that's the fucking way it is. Once they're, I know they're 100%, then I'll go see what I can do for somebody that doesn't really impact my life. That may hurt some people's feelings. I don't really fucking care. I'm not the savior of the world. So I'm going to take care of the people I care about. Other criteria might include where somebody fits in March or the safety of the environment. If I've got somebody who's in a safer environment but maybe has a lesser wound, someone who's in a dangerous environment who maybe has a more serious wound that I can't handle right now, I can't get through that safety problem, then I'm going to handle that secondary issue in a safer environment, <clears throat> excuse me, over going into a dangerous environment trying to, you know, fix somebody right now under a dangerous environment. That's fucking how it is. <clears throat> That's just me. Understanding here as well that during this accountability phase, it's important you understand that in the majority of states, you don't have a responsibility to help people. Now, you need to go look up what your Good Samaritan law is, but most people are grossly misinformed. Every time we ask in any medical class, all right, guys, what's a Good Samaritan law? Nobody fucking knows the real answer. I have yet to teach a class in 15 years. I have yet to teach a class where even I've literally taught at law firms. And people don't have the 100% answer. Every state is different. You need to check your state's rules. That's what I will say about the Good Samaritan Law. But understand in the majority of the times, you have no responsibility to help if you were not directly involved in, a, in the incident or the crime. Or to stay once you've started helping you either. to stay either. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a common misconception. Yeah, they're like – Oh, once I put my hands on them, I, I can't leave until, you know, a higher echelon gets here. And it's like, no, if you just totally not true. don't feel like doing it anymore, you can leave. If they become combative, you can leave. If it gets too dangerous or too gross and you're like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this. You can leave. You hit your max of yeah, your skill set. You're just going to say that. Yeah. You maxed out what you can do. They're totally fucking dead. Yeah. They become combative. The situation develops, changes. A million and one reasons why you could leave. So I'll, I'll give you guys like a, a, a personal story example. So I was coming home from backpacking trip, bunch of guys, two vehicles. We're driving across uh, northern Arizona, and uh, we come across a vehicle overturned. Had just overturned, like wheels are still turning. It's dawn, like the sun isn't even up yet. We finally find the driver of the vehicle. He's this raging drunk. He's off by the fence line out in the desert. Took us a while to find him. He's busted up but not dying. He's being an asshole. So I left. I don't fucking responsibility to that. You want to die out here in the desert? Fuck you. I'm not going to come out here and get bled on and spit on and fucking yelled at by you. You go fuck yourself. And I'll sleep like a baby. I don't need you in my life. And I'm not willing to put myself or my family, my kids, my wife at risk so that I can hopefully get the fucking key to the city or whatever. Yeah. 
Which, quite honestly, I don't want the key to fucking Kayenta, so I don't really give a shit about someone giving me the key to that fucking shithole. So, I'm definitely not going to go out of my way to help somebody who's being an asshole there. Yeah. You know? So, I was just like, all right, man, this guy's not dying. We called 911. Let's fucking bounce. And my buddies are like, dude, is it cool to leave? And I'm like, yeah, let's fucking go. I'm done. I'm hungry. Let's get some breakfast. Yeah. You know? We get there sitting at breakfast. They're like, you don't like, you're you worried about the guy? I'm like, he hasn't crossed my mind until you keep fucking bringing him up. I don't give a shit what happened to that guy. He's not my fucking people. He's yeah. an asshole in the desert, bleeding and screaming and totally fucking plastered drunk in a single occupant rollover. Fuck him. Yep. He wants to be an asshole and doesn't want my help. I'm not going to fucking try to give it to him. You know, so there's a hundred one reasons why you might walk away from an incident. Someone's like, well, what if that was your family member? And then fuck him. I hope you don't help my family members if they're being fucking shitheads like that. Fuck them. <laughs> I don't have family members like that. If I did, fuck them. Like, it's not that fucking hard to figure these people want to have these existential cr- fucking crises about, oh, how do I fucking, what am I going to emotionally, like, Jesus Christ, like, you are way too fucking invested in this shit. This is why beforehand, by the way, when it comes to accountability, you've got to make sure you make the decision beforehand. What am I willing to do? I will tell you right now, I am not willing to put my children, my wife, myself in harm's way for somebody who doesn't want my fucking help. I'm not willing to fucking do it. People are like, well, they come combative. Would you hold them down? Fuck no. (laughs) They're my family members, sure. My best friend, yeah. Some stranger? No. Fucking lay here and bleed, dumbass. Yeah. No, I I think that's something people really, really need to have in their heads is a realistic stopping point for if they do decide because you know it's yeah it's a good thing to help people who are in legitimate trouble right but you got to have a stopping point yeah like you know you see some guy put his arm through a pane of glass and you try to help him out because he's you know arterially bleeding and he starts being a dick spraying blood all over you and yelling at you because he's fucking drunk or on drugs dude no part of that do i want you know what i mean so, distracting wounds. Don't get sucked into them. Follow S and A. Safety and accountability. If they're catastrophically bleeding, that needs to handle number one because in March, the acronym we handle, massive bleeding. Massive bleeding. Active volume loss will kill you an average of three to five minutes. You need to handle this very quickly. Tourniquets or wound packing. No improvised tourniquets. If you can't use a tourniquet or you don't have a tourniquet, go straight to wound packing. Airway. The airway needs to be open and clear of any obstructions. If it's not, you need to either clear those obstructions or you need to open an invasive airway. If, depending on where you are and who you're working on, you may not be willing to open an invasive airway and that's okay. But you need to have an open patent airway and if it's blocked and you can't unblock it, you're going to have to open an invasive airway. And for all the people listening out there, doctors, nurses, paramedics, we're like, oh my God, is this guy talking about doing crikes? Yes. Civilians, let me stop you right there, you fucking asshole. You're a fucking civilian. Yeah. And who the fuck are you to tell anybody else that they shouldn't have knowledge? Fuck you. We teach invasive trauma interventions where we teach things like crikes. I've been getting shit for it for about 12 and a half years. I'll keep teaching it. And we'll keep getting shit for it well into the future because the guardians of knowledge can go fuck 
themselves. I don't give a shit what they fucking feel people should or shouldn't know. It's the same thing as faggot-ass military veterans going like, civilians don't need to know. Let me stop you right there, chump. Civilians, by the way, which you are, you idiot, probably should fucking know everything that the military knows. You want to know why? Let me think. The Revolutionary War. Oh, yeah, that's fucking why. Any other arguments? Ukraine. Israel. Anything else you want to fucking argue? Like, modern fucking warfare is going to be you versus a military, you smooth-brained idiot. You better fucking get spun up on some real shit. Because you're fucking jerk-off ballistic masturbation on the range shooting compliant, non-competitive targets is probably not going to fucking get you through a combat situation. So you should probably fucking learn some real shit. And if you, as a military veteran who knows some shit, maybe, because not all fucking mill dudes know a bunch of cool shit, or you as a doc or a nurse or a paramedic maybe knows and isn't worth sharing or isn't willing to share, that's because you have a very low self-confidence level and your self-image is very small and you're scared that other people might know more than you who didn't have to do what you did to get it. Doctors are upset that they had to go to eight years of school and that someone's fucking found the shortcut bypass to learn how to do invasive trauma shit without having to do all the gay dumb shit they had to do. Same thing with mill vets. Oh, yes. They didn't have to go through what I had to do. First of all, what you had to do, let me, let me be honest, is not that fucking hard. It's not that fucking hard. I know a lot of people who did it who are borderline retarded, and they got through all the same fucking shit. I know plenty of dudes who are in high-tier units that I'm like, hey, man, have you ever been IQ tested? I'd like to know what your actual fucking intelligence level is. But because they could fucking put it down and not quit, they got to whatever that unit was, and they were able to functionally do that job. It doesn't mean that they're allowed to know more than anybody else. Yeah. So you can fucking know anything you want to do. So yes, airways, if they're not open, you might have to surgically open them. R, respirations. Respirations need to be even and undistressed. If they're not even and they are distressed, then you need to strip this person from the waist up, check them front, sides, and back in a very aggressive rake, meaning you're going to turn your fingers in little miniature rakes and you're going to pull their skin you're going to try to cause pain and bleeding because pain and bleeding is going to be your indication of where the problem is. The problem may be external. The problem may be internal. But you need to handle respirations and make sure they're breathing effectively. Can't do that until we make sure they have an open airway to be able to breathe through. One thing to consider with respirations is the context, right? So if I'm listening for breath sounds on someone who just got done jogging and they're very shallow and rapid, as long as they're even... Mm. It doesn't matter if they're shallow and rapid as long as they're even. Or if we just got done doing, you know, strenuous exercise, same kind of thing, maybe. <clears throat> but even, then th that's fine as well. But just understand the kind of the context of what you're listening for as far as breath, breath sounds are concerned. Absolutely. They might be shallow, rap rapid, um, maybe even a little bit distressed. But if they're even and you have that unilateral rise of the chest, then you're good to go. So after R comes C, circulation, what we like to call the catch-all. 
it's where we do everything we didn't do in MAR. A&R is a typical 7 to 12-minute death on average, right? We have compromised airway, compromised respirations. person's going to be dead real fucking fast. Average response time in the majority of metropolitan areas in America, by the way, is between 12 and 15 minutes. I know you think the fire station's right down the road from you. That doesn't mean they're going to be to your house in two fucking minutes, all right? It just doesn't for a variety of reasons, So, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But when you're looking at the catch-all. This is where you do bones, broken, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, broken bones, burns, um, environmental injuries, Splinting. minor bleeds. Yeah, all all the basic first aid shit to include things like CPR and AED application. This is where it happens. It does me no good to get the heart restarted if they're bleeding to death or they have a compromised airway. If all I'm going to do is restart the engine on a broken fucking machine, all they're going to do is die faster. So I got to make sure that I get all that stuff fixed before. I start the circulations. Everything that affects the circulation is what I'm after here. <clears throat> and then lastly, H. H is hypothermia. Now, what's our primary cause of preventable traumatic death in the field today is hypothermia, hypothermic shock. When most people think of hypothermia, what they're thinking about is being cold outside. They're thinking, I'm out on a hike or a hunt, fell in the creek, I'm soaking I'm wet. I'm sorry, you fell in a what? The creek. A creek? Yes. That. Okay. All right. The river. That better? The small stream of water. The small stream of water. Right? So <laughs> you're wet. You got to take the wet clothes off. You got to get warm. Okay. That's a, a coldness that happens from the outside. Relatively easy to prevent or to treat. You just stop that from happening. Just remove them from the environment or remove the environment from them. So <clears throat> that's relatively easy. Hypothermic shock, however, is a, is a cold that's happening on the inside. <clears throat> so our ideal body core temp is 98.6. It's so specific it has a decimal point, 98.6. There's almost no other temperatures that are this specific that we use on a general daily basis. But your body core temp is so specific because it has such a small margin of error. At just two degrees, and in this case, we're going to talk about hypothermia, not hyperthermia, which is things like heat exhaustion and heat stroke. We're not talking about that right now. Hypothermia, hypothermic shock specifically, is only two degrees down. So by 96 degrees, you are going hypothermic. Your body's going to start to be negatively affected. By 94 degrees, you are hypothermic, and parts of your body, systems within your body, are going to start to shut down. You're going to start to lose fine motor skills, gross motor skills, cognitive ability. You might lose speech, hearing, sight. People have lost all kinds of things at this point. <clears throat> by 92 degrees, your blood stops clotting. That's still relatively warm, but it'll stop having the same clotting effects that it has right now. That's why things like quick clot and cellox specifically are so beneficial because they help the blood clot even if it's hypothermic. At 90 degrees, if you're still awake, you are dying of hypothermia. And by 88, you're pretty much dead. If you're not dead already, you're dead now. So you don't have a great amount of fluctuation when you're dealing with hypothermic shot. And look, with anything we're going to talk about medically on these shows, by the way, there's always an outlying case where someone's like, well, my cousin, let me stop you right there. Anecdotal stories I'm not fucking interested in. Show me 100 cases or 1,000 cases or 100,000 cases where that happened. And then I will show you data. Data is where we pull our information from. I don't care if once upon a time someone used a bungee cord as a fucking you know, tourniquet on a small Afghani girl that doesn't give some faggot ass fuckers who lie to people the right to make a piece of shit like the rat's tourniquet and then sell it to a whole bunch of people who will probably fucking die if they ever have to actually have to use it. 
If so you tell base, me how you feel about If you rocks, base a product or a technique on an anecdotal story, you're a fucking idiot. And I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're talking about being an automotive mechanic. Just one time I did. I don't care. That's stupid. I don't care if you're talking about electrical engineering. I don't care if you're talking about medicine, shooting, tactics, whatever. If you base anything you do on one fucking anecdotal story, Mike Glover, it's fucking stupid as fuck, all right? And I don't want to fucking hear it, and I'm tired of you fucking laying that bullshit down onto people who fucking believe you. I'm also looking at you, my medic. <clears throat> Just yeah, know I yeah, still fucking hate you. Fucking faggots who are over there pushing oh, but gay we sell, shit. We sell tourniquets. We sell cat tourniquets on our website. Well, then why don't you put them in your fucking kits you sell, you dumb pieces of shit? Because, why do you put uh, the rats because, in Because uh, what they say... Because uh, the margins are too high. That's no, why. What, Just what, say what, it. Just fucking what, say it. Just say it. You're, you're, all, you're all about the money, you sellout, son of a bitch. That's all it is. I fucking Just hate them fucking so much. Sellout. <laughs> all right. By the way, this isn't totally how the IFAC Lifesaver class goes, but, you know, we're ad-libbing a little because it's the arms room show. <laughs> we're a little more professional than actual. <laughs> I don't say fuck so much. We're a little bit more professional is what I said. Just uh, a little bit. Tiny. Don't just look at me like that. I said we're a little bit more professional. A little bit more. I don't say fuck as much, especially when there's children in the room. I fuck Lifesaver is a family-friendly class. It is a family-friendly class. As long as your family is okay with how we fucking are. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, epidermic shock. So you got to make sure that you're, it's really, it's a lot easier to keep someone warm than it is to get them warm. Getting someone warm is very difficult. Uh, if you have to treat, everybody gets treated for hypothermic shock. Every injury in March, massive bleeding causes a lack of, uh, you know, Heat being circulated to the body with arterial blood reduces the warmth. Lack of airway. We manage our warmth through breathing. Circulation. Obviously, we're circulating hot blood through the body. The lack of any of these things is going to start dropping that body core temperature. So hypothermic shock results from every possible injury. Sometimes it's compensated shock, meaning we haven't been damaged enough. Our body can compensate for it and we're okay. But if we're talking about a traumatic injury, which is what IFAC Lifesaver covers, and then we're talking about the body's inability, or what we're going to call decompensated shock, the body's inability to be able to handle shock. And so it's really important that we manage body core temp. I want patients sweating because if they're sweating, it means their body is managing its own temperature and it's easier for me to manage someone who's sweating than someone who's not. If in the heat vents, which are the neck where the carotid arteries run, the armpits where the brachial arteries run, and the groin where the femoral arteries run, if those three vents are not sweating and warm, I have a hypothermic patient. And I need to do everything I can to get them warm. Good ways to get them warm. My Marines, looking at you, Gabe. Oh, damn it. Spooning naked with your buddy is not a medical procedure. I know that's what you guys do. I have it's not many gay if you're stories. underway. It's not, it's not gay if you're wearing combat boots. It's not gay if you don't make eye contact. It's not gay if... Boot bands. Yeah. Boot bands are on. Any of that gay shit, all right? Okay, that's fine. That's gay stuff, okay? When it comes to managing body core temp, the only way that it really works is naked skin-to-skin contact. That not only takes you out of the fight, but also is a little awkward. So it's a lot easier to do other things. So use things like hot hands, heat packs, you know, hot bottle or warmed up or hot bottles of water. 
<clears throat> change their environment, get them in a warmer environment, take off your warm coat, warm them up, put on their cold coat, you warm that up, and then you can just alternate coats. Get them wrapped up in a Mylar blanket, get them wrapped up in a bunch of Mylar blankets, get them wrapped up in a self-heating blanket, get them wrapped up in an electric blanket, get them wrapped up in a big, you know, Mylar, Cordura, badass freaking Kazavac. There's all kinds of cool shit and cool tools out there available that will demonstrate in classes that will help Get people warm and keep them warm. One thing to consider with these, I know everyone with their, you know, shock treatment part of their kits is always, yeah, oh, I got space blankets. <clears throat> well, space blankets don't create heat. They reflect heat. Mm -hmm. So if there's low heat in the body, we're just going to redirect very minimal amounts of heat. It doesn't take up any more size just to get the toe or the foot hot hands, which have the adhesive. They're literally the same exact size as those little space blankets are. So if you're going to go through the effort of carrying one of those space blankets, carry the hot hands with it. It's going to be much more effective because you're going to actually create heat for that blanket to, to reflect back onto the body. Yeah, you don't want to be wrapping up a corpse. Yeah, <clears throat> because that's essentially what you're going to be doing. If, if the core temp is so low and we're not doing anything to bring it back, but we're wrapping them in a space blanket and they're still deteriorating, well, that's your answer. We're not promoting heat. And remember, even in hot environments like Arizona in the summertime, 115, 120 degrees down here in the desert, people still go hypothermic. It's not about the outside temperature. It's about the inside temperature. Right. If your body can manage its inside temperature in 115 degrees, then that means it can also drop low in 115 degrees. So make sure that you're not just going, oh, it's really hot. My patient's not going to go hypothermic out here. Yes, they will. If you are environmentally cold, like my people in the snow and the ice and the wind and the rain and whatever in the wintertime, or even in the summertime or, or fall, spring, whatever, where it's colder, yes, you have an even greater risk because now the environment is battling you and the internal body core temp is battling you. So if I'm in those kind of environments, I mean, I'm going to carry a ton of shit in my kit to treat hypothermic shock. If, like many IFACs, including some of ours, all you have is a very minor, small space blanket, remember that is a starting point to get you to the next best thing, which should be more blankets, hot packs, hot hands, you know, warm environments, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, like Gabe said, it's really important to remember that if you're wrapping up someone who's not creating their own heat, the blanket only reflects heat. That's why I was saying, like, you know, pre-warm your jacket, put your jacket on them, take their cold clothing and put it on you so you can warm it up if you're actively creating heat. So do whatever you can to get them warm. Always treat patients for shock. Always be constantly monitoring for that shock because shock is what kills people. If the initial injury does not kill them, it all leads to some variation of shock. So March is massive bleeding or massive hemorrhage, airway, respiration, circulation, or catch-all, and hypothermic shock. Some people also mix in head right here to check the head. I've already done that as yeah. part of the initial assessment, so I don't necessarily agree with putting it in there. So hypothermic shock is fine. So with that being said, a um, couple more things we're going we're gonna to move on to here. So uh, our approach to medicine is different. You know, uh, if you were taking the class, you'd see some cool pictures here. But our approach to medicine is different. The way we look at medicine is not just from a military perspective. It's not just from a clinical perspective. It's not just from a field perspective. It's not just from search and rescue. It's all of our varied backgrounds of our instructor team and our instructors over the years who are subject matter experts, many of them incredibly well-recognized subject matter experts coming together and creating a program. Nobody can just teach from their anecdotal experience. No instructor out there, no instruction agency, no organization can teach from one person's experience. You have to have more data than that. 
So when we're drawing our information, we're not just drawing it from our experiences, which are valid and important to bring in here, but anecdotal, especially if they don't back up the data. Like if I have an experience and I have some experiences that don't back up our data, you know, like we, there's things I teach that I'm like, well, I did it differently one time and it worked. I would never fucking teach that because I can't guarantee that it's going to work as many you know, in a universal solution, which is what we like to teach. Universal solution in the majority of the situations, 80% or greater, is this going to work? Because if, if the answer is no, I'm not going to fucking teach it. Because just because it worked one time, it's not enough. So we're not just teaching. We're teaching from you know, data collected by the committee on TCCC, which we review every year. And we are tied in with the committee of TCCC. We teach based on the American College of Surgeons, data which we review every year, and we're tied in with the American College of Surgeons. The National Association of EMTs, the NAEMT, which covers fire EMS medicine, which we are tied in with, and we teach based on their data, which we review every year. So these are not just organizations we're arbitrarily reading their shit. We are tied into these organizations. We are very close with their directors and their boards and their staff. Some of our people even serve with these organizations. It's important that when you're getting your information, you're vetting where it comes from, you know? And it's really, really important because, like, some people will take this stuff and they will teach it, but they're teaching shit from even two years ago or three years ago or five years ago. Or they, they're just regurgitating what someone taught them or what they learned. They're not truly looking at the data and going, I truly understand why we do this and where it comes from. We can go as deep in the weeds. Dude, I've had doctors and paramedics and nurses in class before try to be like, well, let me see what you know. And I'm like, you don't want to go down this fucking rabbit hole with me, dude. This is all I motherfucking do. Yeah. This is my hobby and my job. You know, your job is being a doctor and your hobby is golf. Yeah. This is everything I fucking do. So be careful if you're going to ask me questions. I fucking know the answer. And another thing to consider, those three organizations organizations you just listed off are not the same. You've got, no, they're not. You've got different. You know, military medicine, you've got clinical medicine, and then you've got civilian fire and EMS. So all three of those, we're pulling data from all of them to really make sure we're vetting whatever we're going to teach. It's not just, this is what TCCC said this no. year. No, yeah. it's, okay, what did the other two big hitters in this kind of world say? What did everybody say? What's, yeah. a, what's the collaborative result of saying tourniquet application? Right. Or wound packing or whatever. <clears throat> if you guys have questions about anything that we're talking about, please make sure you ask. Don't think that you're supposed to know this information. Our email is info at trainingaz.com. That's how you can get a hold of us. Email us your questions. Hit us up on Instagram, whatever. We're happy to answer your questions. You're our listeners. We want you to have the right answer. So please ask your questions, uh, and we will make sure we answer them in our future shows. So that's really important. Remember, if you don't understand something, that's not because you didn't understand. It's because we didn't explain it properly. And especially in a show, a show format where we can't interact with people as much, Please make sure you ask all the questions you want, all right? Don't be afraid to do that. So the last thing we're going to cover in today's section of the show is going to be maintaining our equipment and the concept of EMS. Now, we recently did a show on EMS and response times, et cetera. So we're not going to go too deep into that, but I want to go over this. Maintaining your number one piece of equipment is important, and your number one piece of equipment is you. 
you know, we rant and rave and we fat shame and we fucking laugh about fupas and all that kind of shit. But here's the reality. In a world where saber-toothed tigers exist, most of you are probably fucking dead. That's the reality. If you had to step out your door every day and fight, knowing that you had a good chance to have to fight a fucking wild animal that was trying to kill you, like a saber-toothed cat, technically a cat, not a tiger, so I'll correct my previous statement, then you would act differently. But you are fighting a saber-toothed cat. Its name is obesity, diabetes, high cholesterol, cancer, apathy, depression. This is the saber-toothed cat of the modern day. If you are not doing what you need to do to fight this saber-toothed cat, then understand you are not the type of responder that you ought to be if this is stuff you're really serious about. There are four things, and they're all kind of difficult, that you need to manage in order to be the best possible responder you can be. One, diet. Quit putting poison in your body. I'm not even saying, like, quit eating sugar, boys. Don't eat cookies. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying don't put fucking poison in your body. Know the ingredients of what you're about to eat. Know what's in that hamburger you're buying. Know what's in that burrito that you're getting. Know what's in that milk that you're purchasing, that cheese that you're purchasing. Start reading ingredients. They have been poisoning us for years, and most people don't even fucking care. They're all up in arms about, oh, my goddamn property taxes went up, and then they'll eat poison. You're like, dude, the property tax isn't even things killing you. It sucks. I agree. And we should fight that. I agree. But you should probably also make sure you're not putting fucking poison in your body. Number two, exercise. I've already given my physical fitness standards on the show many times. You don't have to go out of your way to exercise. If you were doing five to ten minutes a day, and that's five to ten minutes more than you're doing right now, you're doing your body a lot of good. Move, stretch, work out, basic shit, push-ups, sit-ups. Go for a walk, go for a fast walk, go for a jog, go for a run, go for a bike ride. I don't care what you do. Do something to get more active than you are right now. Be strong. It's easier to stay fit than it is to get fit. Number three, hydration. Drink more fucking water. I know there's water in coffee and in beer. And trust me from someone that's been trying to live off of that for years and years. It's not enough water. You got to drink more water. So make sure that you're constantly staying hydrated. Stay hydrated, overhydrate even to a point. Don't get, you know, hyponatremia or anything like that, but drink more water. You probably need to drink more water. Take a drink of water right now. Drink more water. Thirst is the first sign of dehydration. If you are thirsty, your body is already telling you, dude, I don't have enough water. The last one, my nemesis, sleep. Sleep comes and goes, but I'll tell you this. You will sleep better if... You have a better diet, you exercise more, you stay hydrated. I can guarantee if you're having a problem sleeping, and I've had problems sleeping over the years, you guys. I mean, I've shared a thousand personal stories on the show. I'm not afraid to say. I've had serious fucking problems sleeping. I've had nightmare problems. I've had all kinds of shit. It always happens when I'm not eating well, 
or, and or, I'm not exercising regularly, and or, I'm not well hydrated. If any of those three things exist, I don't get good sleep. I will also tell you guys, all my good beer drinkers out there, the less beer I drink, alcohol generally, but I'm more of a beer drinker than anything else. I'm not drinking beer, I'm drinking whiskey, but I'm drinking beer more than I'm drinking whiskey. And I can tell you that the less you drink, the better you'll sleep, especially right before bed. I've lived plenty of times in my life where I drink myself to sleep. That, that temptation exists for me. How many days in a week are there? Seven? Seven days a week. That temptation exists to me. The less you give into it, the better you're going to sleep. Those are the four things that are important for you to maintain your number one piece of equipment, which is you. If you're already broken down going into an emergency, you're going to be less capable in that emergency. You need to be the best version of yourself you can be so that you can have the most positive influence on the situation. Last thing I'm going to talk about on today's show about medical shit. And Drew and Gabe, you can chime in anytime you want here. Remember that the right trauma center isn't necessarily near you. Hospitals are not created equal. You need to research based on your state. Easy to do. Trauma centers in Arizona. Trauma centers in North Carolina. Trauma centers in Michigan. Wherever you are, all right? And it's really easy. All I do is just Google level one trauma centers near me. Mm. And with your location services on, it'll bring up a list. And typically, it's through the state's website of how they're rated. And when when we travel for training, which we do a lot... I mean, literally morning coffee and you've got all the information you need. And it's not using a lot of technical data. We're not like using technical terms. We're literally like, where is the local hospital to Dallas? You know, like it's really freaking easy. And then you'll typically get directed to a state website. Every state has to publish this. You'll get directed to a state website. They'll have all the trauma centers and the specialties mm-hmm. of all those trauma centers in your area. And everybody's different. Like Arizona, we have 13 level ones. Washington State, there's one. One level one, that's it, man. So, And these certifications change about every two years. So it's really important that you stay up to date on where your level one, level two, level three, and level four trauma centers are, as well as your specialty centers. Generally speaking, you have four specialty centers, stroke or neurological, cardiac or heart, pediatric, and burns. Those will all be level one trauma centers. All level one trauma centers are specialty centers, and they will have one of those specialties. They will typically also be an educational facility. Generally, as far as tip of the spear in clinical medicine is concerned, they will be, quote unquote, tip of the spear. Every level one trauma center can handle level one trauma problems, which are life-threatening problems, as well as having a specialty. A level two trauma center, which if you're with us in Arizona, we don't have any level two traumas. But if you're a level two trauma, they have life life threats are treated there, but they don't have a specialty and they're not an educational facility. They just don't have the staff or the equipment or the funding or a lot of other things that go into getting that qualification. Level three trauma centers. These are injuries that are non-life threats, but require a higher level of care than you can offer. So like, for example, I have a piece of, you know, a stick sticking out of my arm. It's not killing me, but I would like for someone to surgically remove it. Um, I have a broken bone and I need someone to put a cast on it. You know, I have a non-life-threatening injury, but it, it needs more than what I can provide myself. That's a level three trauma center. A level four trauma center, which are vast, there are many of them, 
is what we jokingly call the really bad nosebleed center. It's basically your primary care provider. Like I'm out of town. I need a primary care provider. I need to look up a level four trauma center. I'm going to go to that hospital and I'm going to try to find a doctor who can help me because I've been, you know, throwing up for six hours and I need someone to make that stop, right? I need some Zofran or something. So if you're dealing with something that you just, you would normally go see your doctor for, you're just like, man, this is uncomfortable. I'm not dying. It's not really an injury. I just need some help. Go to a level four. You could go to a level one. They still have to treat you. Just know they're going to hate you the whole fucking time they're there because that's not their fucking job. And if more people knew about the levels of trauma centers and went to the appropriate trauma center, this was more like public education type shit, then level one traumas would be less backed up. Do a little bit of research. Find out where the appropriate centers are. Urgent cares. Urgent cares are for-profit organizations just like hospitals are. All right, so they're going to prioritize appropriate to where they're going to make the most money. That's just how they work. <clears throat> the only thing about an urgent care you can be sure of is there's no urgency there. There's no urgency in an urgent care. You will be treated appropriate to your level of pain and or suffering and injury and the level of capability on staff. There may not be an actual doctor there. You may have an MA or a PA there based on <clears throat> excuse me, what the capabilities of that urgent care are. There's a variety of different types of urgent cares. A little bit of research here. Like go to the urgent care and go, hey, what can you handle? Like there's an urgent care literally right next to mine and Drew's house. It was really easy when I first moved down there to walk in there and go, what can you guys handle? Okay, cool. And then there's a level one trauma center right up the road and there's a level four trauma center not far away. Cool. Now I know where to go. They got to give you the information. It's not, it's not a secret. Walk in there and ask them, what's going on? What can you guys handle? What kind of injuries should I bring here versus what kind of injuries should I bring somewhere else? They're never going to be upset. They love giving that information. You're like one of uh, zero people who walk in there and ask for that. Most people just come in and they're all fucked up and they're looking for help and they're probably at the wrong place. If you go to the wrong hospital, the average transport time or delay time is about three to four hours. You do not want to delay that pain care or that life-saving intervention. Some people are like, well, a hospital's better than no hospital. No, that's not fucking true. I need to go to the right fucking hospital. Because the right hospital may be an hour and a half away, but as long as I can safely and effectively get there, that's going to be less than the three to four hour transport or transfer. And that's a minimum that I'm going to have from a different hospital. And there's a, a hundred horror stories I could tell you about those transfers taking days, literally days. We don't have time to get into it right now, but I'm telling you that shit's real. Go to the right fucking hospital. Remember the EMS may not be cleared on scene. If it's a dangerous environment, deemed a dangerous environment, law enforcement's coming first. So you may not even be getting the help you think you're getting. And remember the help you're getting even when EMS shows up. Maybe some 19-year-old EMTB or some brand new paramedic or someone whose medical director doesn't allow them to do certain things like the kind of things you need to stay alive. They're going to stabilize you, transport you, and hope you fucking survive. These are real fucking things. This is the reality of public service. Most of these organizations are managed by the government. This is the same government that manages the United States Postal Service, the ATF, the IRS, the United States president. This is the same fucking government. I know the individual paramedics are a really nice guy. He's your cousin and you love him and he's great at the fucking barbecues. That doesn't mean that on the job he can do all the things that he might hope he could do or wish he could do. You don't know who you're getting. So the more you can do before they show up, the better. And the better you can get them access. Next time we do this show, we're going to be talking about getting that access. We're going to be talking about the Kazovac, Takovac concepts 
as well as moving into one of our first interventions, which is treating catastrophic hemorrhage using tourniquets and wound packing. So this is where we're going to call it right now. Again, if you want a copy of the presentation to follow along with, we just ended on the slide called Emergencies Can Happen Anywhere. You can email us, info at trainingaz.com. We'll send you a copy of the presentation along with the videos of which so far there's only been one, but it's a good one. So that's where we're at right now. All right, fitness moment with Drew. So I have one that relates to our IFAC, which is um, if you are running, mainly targeting towards running, but also lifting, and you are putting your head down, what are we doing? We are cutting off the airway, the oxygen to our brain, which allows for ineffective uh, running or working out. So we're trying to, because we have our heart rate that's elevated and our blood is pumping and trying to pump as much oxygen to the brain as possible, we want to make sure that we're opening up our airway. So as we say, when we are repositioning someone's um, head, we want our chin pointed forward or for laying on the ground and maybe doing some um, lifting on the ground, make sure your chin is to the sky. That way our airway is open and allowing that proper flow of oxygen getting to our brain. Otherwise, you're just going to not have that great of a workout because your muscles need that oxygen. So do yourself a favor and have proper form like we talked about last week, but also maintain your airway. Make sure that airway is staying open as you're doing these physical activities. So that is what I have for you today. All right. So Fitness Moment with Drew brought to you by MRC Phoenix, McKellar Running Club Phoenix, Monday nights, except for tonight, because of course it is New Year's Day, 6.30 at the Chupacabra Tap Room in Mesa, Wednesday nights, 6.30 at Dad's Eatery in Scottsdale. Welcome to join us. You don't have to run fast. You can walk. You can jog. Uh, last week, our, our daughter uh, roller skated with us, yes. all right? You can do whatever you want. Bike with us. Do anything you want. Just get moving. Remember, you can bring us out to train with you. Get hosting information via email, info at trainingaz.com. That's how you can get a hold of us. We'll give you all the information about how to bring us out to your area. We'll give you training. We'll give you all of our awesome opinions in person. I'll have a beer with you, all that good stuff. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook as The Arms Room Show, Independence Training, and MRC Phoenix. We're proud members of the Heroes Media Group. You know, I cannot ever express enough my gratitude for Adam Bird, who's the leader of the Heroes Media Group, in uh, getting us started nine-something years ago now in the uh, podcast world and for all the support he's given us. He's just a damn good human being. Uh, every time I'm up in his neck of the woods or he's down in my neck of the woods and I get the opportunity to see and meet Adam, uh, always reminded of just what a big-hearted person he is. Literally, he's a huge motherfucker, so he's got a big he heart physically, huge. all right? But he's also just got a big fucking heart, and uh, I love that guy. So I really appreciate everything Heroes Media Group does to support us. Next week, we're going to have Mark from Arizona Machine Gun Ordnance on the show talking about primary maintenance issues that he finds with the firearms that he gets to work on. Until next time, stay where, stay safe, and train hard. You've been listening to The Arm.